Jamie Lewis, and this is Consumed, candid conversations about life and flavor. Before we get into it, I want to share a bit about our sponsor. The inaugural season of Consumed is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine. Now in its 10th year, Slow Life Magazine celebrates the culture of San Luis Obispo with features on the people, influences, products, and businesses that keep this city moving and shaking. I've written the food column in Slow Life Magazine since 2015, where I cover restaurants and food trends here. And over the years, I've seen how devoted Slow Life Magazine's following really is. Readers love learning about their community and weaving into the fabric of this very special place. To learn how you can subscribe, be sure to visit their website at slowlifemagazine.com. Hello, Consumed listeners. I'm so glad you're here for this one. I got to interview Dan Berkland, who in my house we call Dan the Baker. Dan is a Renaissance man, but his interest in baking is what turned him into one of the Central Coast's most prolific producers of bread and croissants. You may have heard of his back porch bakery. We talked about his upbringing in Inglewood, running track and cross-country at Cal Poly, cooking and painting for 10 years in Italy, and how his curiosity in baking and a love for his neighborhood developed into a full-fledged business. As the father of four little ones and an entrepreneur, Dan's time is precious, so I'm really grateful he took time to share it with me and with you. So enjoy. Here's Dan Berkland. Now, what point... Did you start coming to the house? Well, I was I, trying to remember that when I was walking over here. I remember um, my almost nine-year-old was probably under one. How did you find out about it? My friend Kendra told me about it. Kendra. Kendra Williams. Yep, I know Kendra. She wanted yep. to start a bakery at one point. She didn't. I think. I don't think that's. I don't think that dream is dead yet. But, but she's also got. I mean, she started teaching at Poly. Things got intense and so yeah but she always really liked and Kendra probably found out from I see I always try to trace back I know who the first person was who was, was a it? woman named Kelly she's... she was friends with Christy Peterson who lived yeah in yeah and uh she was the first stranger to come knocking on the door looking for bread and what did that feel like when a stranger came uh I was not expecting that at all yeah I there was no plan to even start a bakery yeah I told some friends at my daughter's birthday party, or no, I made some bread for the party. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, you should sell this bread. Yeah. I said, I'll make a Facebook page and I'll post on there when there's bread and I'll see that you guys do not come over and get it because people say this all the time. Make some food and we'll come to your restaurant or whatever. Yeah. So I did that and yeah, they didn't come. Nobody came. (laughs) It was true. It was true, but then... Somebody in the neighborhood got wind of the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I think Christy was one of the early ones. Christy, who's also very good friends with Kendra Williams. Oh, okay. There it all, I mean, this is San Luis Obispo, you know. Well, there's a few veins in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. If you find those veins, <laughs> you're going to do okay. Like marble. There's a uh, Vernan. I don't know if you know Vernan up the hill here. I've never even she heard was that one. Name. I've probably, I'm not going to name everybody's name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like cheerleaders are people who showed up. Yeah, they're the they're first adopters or whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah, yeah. Who come in and you, know, you want to try your uh, your minimum viable product, which is what we we're doing. But it's cool that you. I mean, you took a risk, obviously, in, in Not inviting. Really. But it but it oh. was a minimal. It wasn't the kind of risk like you didn't open a cafe right, right off the bat. No, I, I can't imagine doing it that way. Yeah, I would not have thought to do it that way. 
I the, the risk there was no no risk. I there was no plan to be doing anything business related. The idea was I wanted to uh, learn how to do a few different baking things. I wanted to learn how to do croissants. I was mm-hmm. really working on bagels, mm-hmm. and I just didn't have people to eat them. So I just invited friends over and said, "Here, just help me eat this stuff." Yeah. And then when the strangers started coming over, I think we put a little donation can out there. Yeah. And then when too many strangers started coming over, we had to put the flag up to kind of the control flag. that. Flag, yeah. And uh, I mean, there would be days I'd walk out and people are waiting outside the gate. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and what did that feel like when you saw that? Um, it's the same feeling I have even today is uh, they want more. So let's mm-hmm. make more. Mm-hmm. They want more. So let's make more. We've been doing that for eight years. Oh, now they want more. Oh, my gosh. And the other feeling you have every day is, man, we've tricked everybody into thinking we know what we're doing. My Once gosh. Again. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, another day we've tricked everybody. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. But people are coming over and they're still eating it. That's so funny. Because you, I, I mean, there's so much I want to say, but that first bread that you made, what kind of bread was that, by the way? I mean, at, at the back porch? Yeah. I mean, the very first bread was bagels. Yeah. I don't I know if you remember that. that. I mean, I did have one once. Yeah. But I, I thought it was like a... I made focaccia. Sourdough is what yeah, I thought you yeah. started I with. I did make some uh, naturally leavened focaccias and sourdoughs. Yeah. Some uh, pan a l'anchon, which is kind of a refrigerated, retarded bread mm-hmm. um, to get the sugars out of it. I mean, there were a few. I was going through a Peter Reinhardt uh, Bread Baker's Apprentice book at the time, which was, uh, for me, I mean, now it's something we debate about in the bakery. Who are the gurus of baking? And mm-hmm. I don't know. We go back and forth on who, who who's a fan of who over mm-hmm. there. But in the beginning, yeah, it was that Peter Reinhardt book that got me going. And the only reason I picked it up was because I was teaching uh, baking classes. Oh, you were? Yeah. A buddy of mine started a cooking studio, Sustenance Cooking Studio. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, Yes. Is that not still around? Oh, no, no. That's been gone for quite a while. The business plan wasn't quite there. But it's such a good idea. I do remember that. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Making money, that was not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. But getting people in there and... uh, and I had to, you know, I, I had cooking experience, but I didn't have any teaching experience. And mm-hmm. I really felt like I had to really learn how to do this stuff if I'm going to be, you know, respected in any way as a teacher. So yeah. I got the book and I was learning everything I could about bread. Mm-hmm. And that kind of spun off into the bakery also when those students said, well, you know, I could do this, but when are you going to do it? I'll just come over and get some ears. Yeah. And so the little seed of people wanting uh, bread was there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the, as far as it turning into a business, that was never the plan those are the best businesses though um maybe i mean it, it sends you on this weird journey mm-hmm. as a as an individual from just this ragtag you know kind of just craftsman type mm-hmm. person and now we have you know i got 24 employees and oh my word we sell to about 90 restaurants in the area we've got our cafe it's a business now it is a business <laughs> it so totally is well i'm thinking back i mean what I know of you, am I right in thinking that you grew up, was it like, not Central Valley, but was it down Oh, no, no. East? I grew up in Inglewood. Oh, you did? Yeah. Really? Right down on Inglewood Avenue. Is your family still there? No. We moved when I was a junior in high school. I... But uh, no, I was born in Wichita, Kansas, but that, a year, about a year later, we were living, or a couple years later, we were living right in Inglewood. Okay. Right in the middle of uh, what people think Inglewood is. <laughs> and was it? Uh I mean, I, I, it, that's a tough question. Yeah. It's, um, 
it was definitely home. Mm. It was definitely a place that I didn't want to leave when my family mm. decided we were, it was my junior year of high school. I, like That's, what worst time could there be? Then? Yeah. It was, uh, the densest community of kids you could find. Yeah. If you wanted to play nine on nine baseball, you just go outside, gather up your friends, mm. head down to the park. Mm-hmm. And it was the, you know, the richest mix of cultures and ethnicities, ethnicities that you could imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, my neighbors were from, uh, I mean, it was a heavily, it was a, a black school, mm-hmm. a Mexican community, uh, mostly. My neighbors were from Afghanistan, from Korea, from Argentina. Oh my gosh. From, from everywhere. Yeah. And everybody's house smelled so different. Yeah. Everybody's furnishings were different. Mm-hmm. Everybody's sense of humor totally. was, was different. And for me, that was just normal. <laughs> and, so cool. I mean, the idea of we didn't talk about race or any race issues ever. It was never a, a thing. It was only until I moved to um, Santa Clarita, which is predominantly a white, you know, suburban neighborhood, mm-hmm. which I also love. Is that I'm thinking Orange County, like no, North no, Orange that's, County? That's that Valencia right? area by Magic Mountain. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. That's when you start hearing weird and interesting theories about race and race relations and stuff like that. Wow. And, um, and it's, it was stuff that I couldn't really, I, I would hear it and I would say, well, not, no, that's not really <laughs> my experience. Mm-hmm. There, there's a, I don't know, there was a, a celebration of differences and without any animosity or any, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to mm-hmm. talk about without sounding like, uh, you know, a scientist who was in it and got out of it. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like, (laughs) yeah, you know, I was an observer. You were in there. But even saying that sounds weird to me. Like I was in the, whatever, I, I, I mess of something. And now that I, but you were part of a community. Yeah. It was, you know, and, and, and that ties into everything having to do with anything I've done since then, Mm -hmm. including the baking. Mm-hmm. It was not about bread. I didn't care about bread. It was about, you know, community. It's always been about mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I, I spent 10 years over in Italy working in a guest house there, you know, as a volunteer. I didn't make any money or anything. Mm. And the, the money was you get to live in Italy and hang out with the Seriously. rest of the world. Seriously. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was, um, it was so much not about food. You had to nail the food so that the rest of life worked mm-hmm. if you didn't nail the food forget about the rest of the life you got to get the food right yeah but once the food is right that that opens you up to the rest of life <laughs> it was always my perspective on food that is my perspective on food also although i think our our flavors are slightly different yeah. i just think i think food is the you know sports can be a gateway to talking about people um Food, I think, is a gateway to talking about people. Music can be a, a gateway, but it's just about craft. The craft is not the end result, though. It never has been. It's always about the people behind it. And like hearing about how you grew up is so much more interesting and compelling to me than hearing about, well, the things that I've written about you, honestly. <laughs> like what, you know, what, what um, thinness, like how many millimeters is each sheet of the croissant dough and, you know, all that stuff. That's fine if you're super into yeah. the geekiness of it. Right. But the truth is, it's the stuff when I turn the tape off and we can just talk yeah. that I'm like, wow, Dan is super interesting. <laughs> and it was never about the bread, ever. 
No, in fact, uh, that's the joke at the bakery is when I write my book, I'm not going to write my book. But if mm-hmm. I ever wrote my book, that's going to be the title. It was never about the bread. <laughs> that is a great title. And it's, and it's totally accurate. I love that. And I also, I mean, I know you live around the corner and you have four little ones um, who are not so little anymore. I mean, some of them are not so little anymore. And I know that you are part of a crew of kids over on yes. the corner of that street and I mean, that makes a lot more sense it's the now dream to me. Street. It is, yeah. It's what you dream of, or what I dreamt of, you mm-hmm. know, the continuation of the community. There's 18 kids on that street, I think. I think that's wow. what we're up to. We have seven yeah. on, in our gang, um, and that feels like a lot. I cannot even imagine 18. It's, you don't, you, the kids leave the house in the morning and they come back hopefully for dinner, and you, <laughs> and you know they're being watched. Yeah. The whole neighborhood is watching them. All the dads are out there with their, you know, balls in hand to beam, being the uh, drivers going by, racing through the neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah. The college kids know better than to speed Mm -hmm. through there. And, uh, oh, it's, 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 it's Inglewood. It's Italy. It's every, it's the same Mm -hmm. experience. It just keeps going. Luckily, you know, we kind of just stumbled into it. It wasn't, didn't have to happen that way, but no, I don't even stay there forever. Totally. (laughs) Totally. As long as that's how it is. This neighborhood is so special. It's so special. Um, what did your parents do for a living? My parents were just school teachers Mm -hmm. in the Midwest. Um, and then when we moved to Inglewood, uh, my mother became an assist or uh, an office manager for a for a dental office, mm-hmm. and then my dad went on to be head of uh, respiratory therapy at Children's Hospital. Oh wow, in Los Angeles. So did, did what they teach before that have any relation? No. Okay. No, in fact, uh, they realized, or at least my dad, from what I understand, I was really young, but he went through a hard time with teaching. He wasn't good at discipline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Uh, And it really hit him hard when he, at a certain point, when he just didn't know what to do with his life. Mm. And uh, I never saw that. He was always a hero. Yeah. (laughs) And he still is. Um, But then he um, uh, decided to go back to school, get his respiratory therapy degree. Wow. And then just worked his way up to being the big shot at Children's Mm. Hospital. And it was, it suited him perfectly. I mean, he was he would work three or jobs, you know, he did night. Um, what do you call it? Where he would go into people's houses in the middle of the night and adjust their oh, machinery. What do you call that? And House so, calls. And yeah. Things like and that. in rougher neighborhoods too, out in East LA or in South central. Mm-hmm. And I tag along with them, you know, and yeah, it was crazy. You'd go into a house and there'd be a, a mom attached to a machine in the corner mm-hmm. and a bunch of kids running around and no dad anywhere <laughs> that you could tell. Wow. And, uh, we go in, make some adjustments on the dials, and walk out. Were you a little guy then? Oh, I was little. Yeah, yeah. I was probably nine or ten. Mm. We'd get we'd get taunted a little from the corner. Hey, what are you guys doing here? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool though that you got to see things that were not what you experience at home. You know, just to no, go and be part of. But it was a part of our mine and my brother and, and sister. That's how we grew up. We grew up around the. Um, the preemies at the hospital, mm-hmm. um, just the babies. They were like, you know, the tiniest things in there hooked up to all the machines. Yeah. So yeah, it was normal for us to see all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, ah, you know, everybody has those things in life they get used to. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they don't realize that no, not everybody got to see those things. Are you the um, oldest of the kids? I'm the oldest. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. I have a real affinity for oldest. I'm the oldest also. And I don't know why, but we always wind up hanging out together. (laughs) It's just, I don't know, something about being the first one. Um, 
You came to Cal Poly. Yes. For and what architecture. Did, that's right. I was, I was writing questions earlier this morning. I was thinking, did he come for studio art? No, you came for architecture. No, I came for architecture. Uh, even more though, I came for uh, track. That's athletics. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I say even more. Cross country though. Cross not, country and track. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, I mean, I was a kid, you're 17, you know, yeah, right. right. <laughs> Do you really care about architecture or track? <laughs> uh, track. Yeah. And, uh, so that was, a, that's a tough double to do, yeah. uh, track and architecture. Um, the architecture Dean and the professors were always trying to kick me out of architecture. <laughs> Why? Well, just because, and they're right. You can't, you can't focus on both. Mm. You mm-hmm. can't give to both what they need. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of the judgment in architecture at the time was, did you pull all-nighters for a week? Yeah. I know gonna... that that's big for them. Yeah. And no, I, no, I can't. I got to sleep. I got to run at five in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but I would go in and run at five and then be in the studio at six when no one else was in there mm-hmm. working. No one was there to see me. And the yeah. professors don't stop by at that hour. They stop by in the middle of the night. So mm-hmm. there really was no record of me being there. <laughs> yeah. Why did you choose that, though? Architecture. I'm, yeah. Um, I mean, I was strong in art and math mm-hmm. as a kid, or it was strong, I don't know, but those are my interests. Those are what I thought I was good at, and I, it seemed like that was the combination that led to architecture. In fact, uh, just yesterday, I was talking to a, a local professor here, mm-hmm. who, and, and I told him that. I said, yeah, I just thought since I was good at art and math, and he says, that's the number one reason people go into architecture, mm-hmm. and it's one of the number one wrong reasons to go in, into really? architecture. We didn't get into it too far, but it makes yeah. sense now. I mean, architecture is a different thing than art and math. Ar- architecture has to do with, you know, understanding someone's needs and trying to yeah. solve the problem yeah. that they have in a spatial way. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you're not just some free-floating artist mathematician. <laughs> it sounds is, great. It but sounds like fun. It sounds yeah. like Leonardo da Vinci type stuff. Totally. It's not really like that. No. And I worked in an architecture firm for a short time while in college and after about three years I knew that it wasn't something I was mm. I was gonna do later in life yeah but I enjoyed the education and because of did you graduate with architecture I did, yeah holy cow I did uh, I had to uh, to keep my running eligibility there was yeah. a weird NCAA glitch that applied just to Cal Poly that mm. didn't allow you to change majors without losing a year of eligibility wow is that still like that uh, maybe it just had to do with the fact that at Cal Poly you declare from day one yes. and you have to have a certain amount of units going towards your major to be eligible for competing. So if you were to switch, you would instantly not have any units going towards your new major. Yeah. So it may still apply Cal Poly. I, I don't know much. If Cal I know it still works like that. NCAA at it, any school is very complex. People don't understand. Yeah. And, and the different rules will apply differently to different schools. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that you, I it still is so hard for me to understand why or how a 17 or 18 year old can declare a major on day one or, or you know, before day one. I mean, I, I felt pretty good about it on day one. I thought that's what I wanted well, to do. Well, sure. But then, but then that's just <laughs> it as you get into it. From it. Kid's point of view sometimes. Yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah, there's no rush to I mean, have you figured out what to do yet? <laughs> no, ex- clearly not. I'm yeah, sitting at my kitchen table talking about bread. I mean, I, I can't even make bread. All I could do is you talk. can make bread. 
<laughs> not the kind of bread I want. I can make sandwich bread. I can make like a CD, you know. What's holding you up? What is the... What? I tried to build a starter. I had this very romantic idea that I would build a starter and that I would give it to my kids for them, like almost like a wedding gift and okay. that they would keep it and yeah. then it would go to their kids. And oh, I, I fed it for maybe five days. Yeah. And after that, it's like, it stinks. I hate it. <laughs> I have enough babies to take care of. Well, and- there's kind of a myth behind the starter that, you know, after a hundred years, it's somehow a different, better starter. Yeah. And, and it's it- not. It's not. No, no. It's it's the same star. After about 30 days or so, it's captured what's in this atmosphere mm-hmm. around here locally, and that's how it's going to stay, and you're just keeping it alive. It's it's not getting better or stronger. Or mm. There's nothing happening. It's a romantic idea. Mm. Like, you can go on... Uh, you can go on eBay and buy a hundred year old Turkish starter from Turkey. Or Have something. you done that? No. Okay. Because, it sounds cool though. Well, you're going to buy it and it's going to come here and it's going to be in transit for a week or longer yeah. and then it's going to get here. And then within a week or so, it's going to be the local starter. It will <laughs> it eventually will not maintain conform. anything about Turkey. You can't yeah. even bring it down from San Francisco. Yeah. Any bread that's baked here would have to be San Luis sourdough or San Luis mm-hmm. starter. Yeah. Just slightly different things in the atmosphere can you taste the difference between something that's like a san francisco sourdough versus like you know spoon trade grover beach sourdough you know i i i can't currently i might Mm. be able to develop that but i'm not it's not something i'm chasing down yeah (laughs) i love the story yeah but i've i mean i don't have a super i don't have a refined palate so i haven't been able to tell the difference no if it's good bread it's good that's what the thing is uh if we're doing our job right in making bread it's not gonna blow your mind Mm -hmm. it's gonna taste like good bread and that's it yeah you're not gonna eat our bread and you know think it's the most incredible thing in the world you're you're just not gonna notice (laughs) yeah you'll notice when you're eating bad bread Hmm. but you'll eat good bread and and it will be your life will continue on without any glitch in it but if you're eating bad bread, that's when you, that's when the thing starts spiraling. Do so, you, do you think that food media has, or just even culture, just normal American culture, do we kind of hyper aggrandize things? I, I, yes, but that's, that's no problem with that. I mm. mean, as a form of entertainment, I, it's great. I watch all those food shows. You do? Oh yeah. Oh, that I, gives me permission to watch yeah. them. <laughs> if Dan no, watches them, no. I can watch them. No, I loved Anthony Bourdain and I watch all the chef's table yeah. stuff and anything that comes on. And from an, an entertainment point of view, it's great. And it shows you the world and, mm. and different things. But at the same time, I, I can't imagine, you know, breakfast with my grandparents being anything different than IHOP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's great, and mm-hmm. I love it sitting there. They bring that thermos of coffee out there. It's probably been sitting <laughs> in the back for a while. And, I mean, food is, like I've always, it's the vehicle to the experience mm-hmm. more than anything. And sometimes that vehicle is not very well prepared. Mm-hmm. It's not very good. It comes from a can or a package. Mm-hmm. And that's also fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was something, you know, I read that early on in some business book. It says you're never selling a product. You're always selling a feeling. Yeah. And when we started the bakery at the house, I was in the beginning worried. Are people coming here because of the bread or are they coming here because there's some good feeling of going to a strange house mm-hmm. and doing this weird thing? And I realized it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter at all why they're coming. Has any of that been lost since you went, um, not corporate, but when, you know, you've gone broader. <laughs> Uh, has it been, 
yeah, it's a different thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still have a ton of the the original people coming yeah. by the cafe or I, I see everybody on the streets. We're all in the same neighborhood. Yeah. And, you know, Lincoln Market's right here. People buy the bread at Lincoln. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's inevitable that the that little, you know, starter thing got lost. The mm-hmm. kids are all grown up. They're not running around in their Aww. diapers anymore. That's how I remember it. <laughs> yeah. That there was a you were selling a feel or you were giving away a feeling coming into your house. I remember it was just kind of a random Friday morning, I think, that I didn't have I was a stay at home mom. I didn't have anything planned. I remember Fridays as being particularly long because yeah. You know, there's no music time at Boo Boo's and there's no, um, oh, whatever, all the activities that happen throughout the week. Friday was always the day that there was never anything. And so I would kind of stare into the barrel of a Friday and think, okay, what are we going to do today? And I think I saw on the Facebook post or group that you, the flag was going to be up at 9 a.m. or something. And seven, seven. Well, which was particularly great because my son still wakes up at like 5.30 in the morning. So we came over and he was little um, and you welcomed us in and there was coffee and all these treats. But even beyond that, it was Carolyn was there and all of your paintings were everywhere. And it looked like you were kind of in process on one of them. It was like, (laughs) what is this magical place where people just bake and kids are in diapers and like swinging from the tree swing and yeah and these paintings ever and and your stuff your paintings which I do <laughs> want to talk about I mean I don't think people fully realize when they when they talk to you or when yeah. they buy the bread that you yeah. have this whole other deep <laughs> skill set uh yeah no I mean that's that was how I paid the bills for maybe 15 years before the bakery yeah was uh doing big oil paintings and selling them in a few galleries here and in San Francisco and also over in Italy. Oh, and you did sell them over there? Not in galleries, but I had a, my studio over there. That's where I was doing a lot of my painting. I had mm-hmm. an old chapel that I turned into a, an, a studio. Wow. And yeah, just had it all to myself, really. Wow. <laughs> it was on the property I was living. We put electricity in there to get lighting, and mm-hmm. we did art shows in there for local people and different uh, groups of uh, students coming from... Germany and Switzerland and they were staying at our place where we would take care of them but then we'd put on art shows for them also and uh, again it's the same thing with um, bread is it wasn't about the paintings <laughs> right, right it was I was traveling I wanted to see things and meet people and do stuff and I needed to do something to justify it and that's what the painting was I wasn't didn't have any dream of being a great artist I still don't think that I am any kind of great artist Mm. Um, and I had friends who were very good artists went to art school and would kind of mock my paintings oh you're selling out you know you're painting this landscape here my goal is to sell out it's gorgeous (laughs) also Greece next summer (laughs) yeah right selling out there's nothing wrong with that problem with the idea of selling out (laughs) that's why I'm doing this that's so awesome but did you ever take art classes or was that all no, I, self-taught? Well, self-taughts, you never self-taught. You learn from everybody around you. Yeah. When I got to Italy, uh, a lot of friends were painting over there mm-hmm. and I had never painted before. I used to do drawing and architecture, pencil drawing and sketching. Mm-hmm. But when I met friends over there that were painting and it looked cool and fun, I got some canvases and started doing it too. 
Mm. So yeah, it was it was the thing to do. You're you're with all these young, you know, what how old were we? Early twenties, mm-hmm. just seeing the world, messing around, and art and writing and music and all that kind oh, of stuff. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and you worked. You were in a kitchen, I think. Yeah, the full time, right? There. Yeah, we worked. Uh, I started out working on the land. Mm-hmm. Just and just maintenance and you know even just making beds and cleaning toilets and stuff, mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> one of the um, cooks uh, quit or they needed a new cook and so they first asked their staff that was there and I said yeah I want to try it out mm-hmm. and and they said okay for no reason I had no experience in food I had no interest in food I had not been into food all through college or mm-hmm. food was not a thing. But I, you know, it, being in Italy, you kind of get sucked into food. It's you all cannot anybody talks avoid about it. Over yes, <laughs> it's unavoidable. So I picked yeah. up, you know, the five or six basic recipes that there are over there, and they threw me in the kitchen. But even then, my job was just to kind of reassemble things for the evening meal that the main cook would have made in the morning. But uh, right when I started, she got um, shingles, I think it was, mm. and so she was going to be out. For a month. An Italian woman. Yeah. And she let you take over? She had no choice. Wow. Well, that must have been hard for her. Oh, no, no, no. We were very, we were on very good terms. Okay. And we got along really well. And we, because uh, I had worked in the kitchen washing dishes and everything. It was yeah. a very tight, it was like a family mm-hmm. over there. But basically, I was on the phone. I mean, we're feeding 160 to 100 people a day, three times a day. Wow. And it was me in charge right from the gun <laughs> Wow! without even knowing the first thing. So, yeah. and, and barely knowing Italian at the, at the time. Mm-hmm. And, but you learn fast, you learn real fast. You do how to be an Italian cook. Cause you got to deal with the farmers and the, my, the butcher and the, uh, the baker and every, everybody that's, you know, your, your vendors. And then mm-hmm. I'm on the phone all day with hers. And I mean, how do I, what do I do with this, you know, brazato, whatever, you know? Yeah. And she was just telling me instructions in her broken English, Italian. Oh, and Italian over the phone or any foreign oh, yeah. language over the phone is like 10 times removed from actually being in person with someone, seeing their yeah. facial expressions oh, yeah, yeah. in their Talking hands. Talking on the phone in a foreign language is the most intimidating It is. Thing. But, um, it, but yeah, I learned really fast. Mm. And after about a month, I was pretty good at cooking Italian food. Wow. <laughs> what kinds of things were you making? Like what were some no, of the just No, it wasn't standards? a complicated menu in any way, but Italian food really isn't. I mean, mm. and Italians eat differently than we do, and I like how Italians eat. There's the primo piatto, the first plate, which is usually a pasta or a risotto or a soup, mm-hmm. and then there's the secondo, which is the meat plate, and then there's always verdura, you know, the, the vegetable. Contorno. The contorno. And uh, then the dolce, the dessert. Mm-hmm. There's antipasti in the beginning. You know, it comes out in, in stages. And everything is very simple. Yes. But I, I had worked in the garden, and so I saw the vegetables growing, and I didn't really know how to turn them into food at the time. <laughs> but I found a book there that, you know, I went into such detail on trying to figure out how to make these. Th- I, I remember one time, you know, we were going to have Swiss chard, bietola in Italian, Swiss chard. <laughs> it's all in the garden, and I go gather it up. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this stuff. So I'm looking through it. So I'll break the leaves off the stems. Now treat the stems differently than the leaves. Braise the stems. Saute the leaves. Garlic in the leaves. Uh, whatever. I can't remember what we some 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 type of acid or something on the yeah. stems. Break them down. Do this. And uh, I did that, and it took forever. And everybody's just laughing at me because. <laughs> 
it's like as a kid in Italy, you learn that on day one. <laughs> yeah, totally. All these recipes are just, you, why are you even thinking about this? Just yeah. go make the food. Yeah. But for me, it's starting from zero. Well, there it's very simple food, but it's very particular. We, I mean, we have so many stories of, we were only there six months, mm-hmm. um, but we did something very similar. We were itinerant farmers, and then we would occasionally be staying at an agriturismo where they would say, we need help in the kitchen. Are you interested? But at one of them in particular, I sat down with the grandma, and she's, the only job she was willing to give me, because she was very protective, especially with like this American girl, mm-hmm. um, she said, you can pick the leaves off of the parsley. But it's Samolo. I will yeah. never forget the word for <laughs> parsley. And I started to pick them off. And she, within five minutes, gathered everything up and said, no, you are not able to do this. I can see that you are the, they're breaking. You're picking ones that have a little tinge of brown yeah. on the edge. No, you are not qualified to do this. Yeah. The, I mean, for us, it was, you know, cutting the ends off the, the green beans. Out. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's, uh, it's a militaristic thinking towards food over there, and you yeah. just do not break the rules, mm-hmm. and you don't throw in the mango. That's what I call it. And the Californians, you know, we great recipe. Now let's throw in a mango, and it'll be even better. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's three ingredients. Get the best ones, and now just back off. Don't yeah. mess it up. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh, we were at another place that this was a a Jake story that was so hard. Um, we're staying at another agriturismo in the Dolomites. And the family was very caught up with taking care of their guests. And they asked that we would feed their, I think he was like four-year-old son, three-year-old son. Just use whatever's in the pantry. Just (sighs) go. No. So Jake, I know it was horrible. Jake went in and he said, he saw Capellini. He saw Uh angel hair pasta and he saw like a passata, just, you know, red tomato sauce. He was like, perfect. I eat this all all the time at home. Yeah. Cooked it up put the red sauce on it, served it to the child. And the child was like, mama, yeah. called mom in. Capolini only ever goes in broth, <laughs> never with a sauce. And Jake's like, seriously though, I made it. It's edible, but they, no, they would not feed it not to him. Mess with how mama makes it. No. I mean, I did that all the, I screwed up constantly over there. It's not screwing. How was I supposed to know? No, you don't know. But there, but you learn. I mean, you never, you, well, on rare occasion, do you mix garlic and onion? Right. Which we do constantly. We do it and it makes sense now that you think about it and which you're not before or the idea of cheese and fish. Yes. Together. Right. Because you're canceling out flavors is what you're doing. Garlic is great. Onion is great. Put them together. I don't know. It's a little muddy. A little less than the two of them. I, I don't think. know. Last night we made chicken thighs with leeks. Now I don't know if leeks leeks would count as like they're an allium, right? Just like leeks an onion. Leeks and garlic. Yes, I think and that it works. was ter- okay. <laughs> am I am I in? I know okay. those rules. I mean, I do agree with them, and they've been passed down through time. They've kind of calcified into this. This yeah. is the only thing you can do. I mean, I want to argue with them, but the truth is, their food is better than I. I just I enjoy Italian food. It's like soul food to me. Oh, I, I like it. Not that it's better or worse than, well, okay. Is it better than Swedish food? Maybe <laughs> my wife is Swedish. Yeah. What is and, Swedish food like? Uh, Swedish food is, is awesome on the first day and then the second day still, and then the third day and then fourth day it starts getting a little heavier. Is it because it's kind of the it's, same? Or? You don't see a lot of green. Oh, it's hard for a Californian in Sweden. I think, or at least there, it was for me. There, I, I do like the food on occasion, like uh, Christmas food is my favorite meal yeah. of, of the year. 
with the red beet salad and all the pickled mm-hmm. herring and mm-hmm. the gravlaks and the meatballs and the mustard sauces and stuff. Oh. And it's just this big smorgasbord. But it, it uh, goes on for, you know, about a week of eating that. And then you're done. Then you want to get back to California and yeah. have a burrito or something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We missed burritos. I mean, 10 years in Italy. Did you miss oh, Mexican yeah. food? Like, was it kind of like well, a we craving? We actually started growing cilantro out in the garden. And we, <laughs> what else did we grow out? I think we tried jalapenos. We started growing some things. We had, we made tortillas. We made refried beans. We'd have to go into Florence to the market to find, you know, the, the, the weird stuff. I can't even remember what that mm. would be at the time. Yeah. There had just been a Mexican restaurant that opened in Florence and it was awful. It yeah. was really bad. Um, but yeah, no, the diet in, in even in Italy was difficult for people that weren't from there. Mm. I mean, and they don't, for better or worse, they don't fortify any of their foods. Or at least they did. What do you mean, like with vitamins, with vitamins and things? So I, I got all kinds. Of, my mouth would break out all the time and little sores and stuff just from. Really? And I, but if I took a multivitamin, I was fine. Huh. And it took me a while to figure that out, what was going on. But I was just not getting the same vitamins I was getting yeah. by eating here and eating, you know, cornflakes, which have your full supply. <laughs> totally. Vitamin B, vitamin everything. Even though the diet over there on paper looks like it's, you know, mm. it's got everything. There's still some limitations, yeah. Um, from but the 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 diets, you know, the the verdura, the contorno, the the vegetable over there, more and more is turning into French fries. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I mean, and I don't, I if anyone's listening who's Italian or married to an Italian, I mean, the food is just fantastic and it's perfect. I I feel like a culture really adapts to its food and it becomes perfect for them, yeah. like a puzzle piece fitting with another one. But for me. I found that there wasn't nearly enough roughage and greens. And I, I was yeah. shocked because I think we've been told a lot of the time that Italian food is very fresh and yeah. lots of lots of vegetables. I struggled for those kinds when of you things. Eat at, when you eat at home or in somebody's home, it's there. or it was. Mm-hmm. It's been years since I've been there, but yeah. I imagine that's still going on. When you eat at somebody's home, you're, you're going to have the big plate of vegetables mm-hmm. and something fresh, something from the garden. Uh, but yeah, you're right. In restaurants, that's not quite there. Mm-hmm. It, it, and, you know, you'll find the little hole in the wall that's still doing it the right way. But, it's, yeah, there's a huge difference between the restaurant and, and eating uh, at home mm-hmm. at, at a farmer's house. They're still giving you that plate of greens yeah. or whatever the, the vegetable is. And that's the thing. When it's the season, that's all you're going to get. Right. <clears throat> when it's eggplant season, oh, it's eggplant for a month. Or yeah. It's, you know. They have, and they have the festival for it, the mushroom festival oh, or the wild it. pig festival. The pumpkin festival. Pumpkin. It's, no, it's, I, I, there's so much I miss about it. There's a lot mm-hmm. of frustration living there too. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was always the lack of uh, kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. Not that it wasn't there, but it was stifled in so many ways mm-hmm. by so many different things. Like the dream of you know having your own business or doing something, that was hard over there. It's easier here. Yeah. So that was something that kind of drove me crazy. It was meeting young people and uh, them having, you know, a hint of some kind of dream, but no belief that it was something they could pursue. Hmm. Yeah. Hopefully that's changing. I imagine that's changing. Especially in the big cities, I would I mean, guess. there was one group over there that it was a European youth group and we met and it was kids, you know, 17, 18 year olds from, you know, every country in Europe, really. And you had the Western Europeans and the and the Eastern Europeans, and the ones that the the most inspiring ones were the ones coming from you know Romania and Bulgaria, mm. people that were just coming out of 
you know, tyranny mm-hmm. and having their first shot at, you know, capitalism yeah. and entrepreneurship and listening to, you know, someone from France talking about a, like a 30 hour work week or something. And they're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I want to work all 24 of the hours. Oh. This is our shot. We you know we've never had this. Which is so beautiful. <laughs> so just the difference between the two of them was kind of wild. That yeah. One is getting tired of it. One's just getting introduced to it. <laughs> we were in uh, Romania and Bulgaria over the summer and... Wow. I mean, I, Jake and I both, our hearts swelled for Eastern Europe. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible place. And that is a people that has been through so much and continues to go through so much. Yeah. Um, we saw on the news within two weeks, I think, of having left there, there was a big, um, huge demonstration that happened, the very angry and riotous one, mm-hmm. you know, right there in Bucharest where we had been standing. And I don't know, we we are so privileged here not to have that kind of unrest not to be accustomed to it it's a history we just cannot relate to in any way there's no way for we we're we're pretty we're sheltered we're very sheltered from those those uh from tyranny (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a vague thing we see it on the news and we kind of think we understand it but there's really no way you can you can understand i don't understand it yeah i mean one of my first friends over there grew up in uh east berlin he was just a child before the wall came down. And he was always, I mean, he, his memory of it is he was, he was just a young kid. But some of the attitudes, he was very secretive, very mm. private, did not share much at all. And it was weird as a Californian where you go up and hug and you know, <laughs> say whatever to anybody, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, they explained to me, this, he grew up in a place where you just didn't know if your uncle was going to turn you in. Oh gosh. <laughs> you weren't really yeah. allowed to think too hard about something. Just just wasn't worth the risk. Wow, and what does that do on the trajectory of life? You know, what does an adult look like who's been through that or who who that was their normal? Well, what's interesting is when he came to Italy and we saw this with a few people who came from some rougher spots where they they, they just they had these opportunities that they never had. And I mean, alcohol was, <laughs> was mm, you know, they just got into, yeah, they just got into <laughs> some partying and some opening up some things that were good for you probably crossed the line here or there, but yeah, it was a whole world opening up to them that they didn't grow up with. Mm-hmm. And I guess you maybe have to go through that before you find your balance. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, it's been a long while, but no, he was doing fine. He was off to college in Western Germany and mm. Yeah, they come from different experiences. Mm -hmm. Do you keep in touch with a lot of people? Uh, Loosely. uh, From Europe, you Mm -hmm. mean? Um, Yeah. I mean, Facebook makes that that pretty easily. I I don't, not as closely as I, I don't want to, because if I do, then I'm going to really want to get into it. Mm -hmm. I I got to focus here. I know. I know. (laughs) You really do. Yeah. It's, I could be, I, I miss everybody I'm not with all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. From all your different. Yeah, I miss yeah. them all. I, yeah. I would want to be with them 24 seven all the time. But even if I start a little bit down, it's easiest just to focus on here. Yeah. It's a lot of people here. Yeah. I actually see that <laughs> in people you. people in my house. <laughs> there are a lot of like just bodies in your house. Yeah. Um, I, I respect that about you very much. I do. Every time we talk, I get a sense that you are very focused on the present. You're also extremely chill about like things are going to go wrong. Things are going to go right. <laughs> like not attaching, not hooking into any one thing and expecting it to like ever expecting to coast. Right. 
I, well, as a meditation technique to calm myself down, I, I, I um, imagine myself as an old man at the mm. end of my life, sitting on a hill, watching the sun go down with nothing left to prove. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe nobody else nobody around, else around. You. Yeah. And that's my go-to relaxation technique. Mm-hmm. Because that's really what this is going to amount to, isn't it? Yes, that's right. <laughs> there's not, you know, there's not a, a beginning, middle, and a and a great ending, mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't want to sound down. No, but. it's not. It, I don't think it's morbid at all. Actually, I no. think it's a very healthy outlook on life for sure. Yeah. No, I I love life. I, this is every day is a new weird experience, and mm-hmm. but someday it's going to stop, and someday it's going to crash really hard, and. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's that's another one of those experiences. <laughs> yeah, but I get. Yeah, I th- I think as I'm thinking about it more, you are the least anxious person, perhaps that I know. <clears throat> I I'm very prone to anxiety about. Yeah. Well, I mean, even with this, even with talking to people on yeah. tape, is anyone going to listen? Yeah. Um. Does any of this amount to anything? Um. I I fail in my worst moments. I fail to recognize that. I get to spend a morning talking to Dan. <laughs> I get to have someone in my house. It's a great excuse to clean yeah. the house. Um, and uh, we get to talk about things that run deeper than I guess the average. And, but, yeah. but in, yeah, in my worst moments, it's very much about, well, what's, what does this mean for tomorrow or for two yeah. years from now? No, I get those. I get those little attacks, but mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I think um, I, I punch them down pretty quick. Yeah. I, I step way back. And look at it and say, this is silly. You know? Yeah. I mean, nobody cares about me or anything I have to say or do, or, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and that's cool. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And if, you know, the worst case, we're living under a bridge somewhere, and mm-hmm. we'll figure that out, too. Yeah. I, yeah, the, the, the worst case scenario never is something we can deal with. You yeah. Know? And you build this, also, you build this fabric of community mm-hmm. that you start to trust also. Yeah. So, and, you know, I know that some people don't aren't able to do that. And I, you know, I realize I'm lucky to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you, yeah, you build a network of people and experiences that, you know, that if everything crashes tomorrow, you've got this skill set or this community, this network that you'll be able to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. We all can say that. Yeah. I mean, really, it, as you build, I'm even thinking of like the image of a net. You build this net that will catch you. Yeah. But the fabric of the community, I mean... I love this town so much. It frustrates me sometimes too, but the fact that we can lean on each other like that mm-hmm. is so incredible and so special. And I, I'm sure that you can do that somewhere like Los Angeles, where you have pockets of yeah. neighborhoods. But when I think of a big city, I just think of how hard it would be to rebuild what we've built here. I think we had it in Inglewood. Mm-hmm. I think this place feels more like Inglewood to me than, than Valencia, mm-hmm. uh, Santa Clarita, um, my, where I spent you know the last two years of high school. And there it was more everybody kind of built their castle. They had their own swimming pool. and You barely knew your neighbors. Everybody mm-hmm. had like five cars in the driveway. and It was just a really different thing. Nobody... All, all the living was done in your backyard in your private little yeah. area. Um, but Inglewood, for me, I, I feel it every day here. We're all out in the front yard. We're lounging mm-hmm. around in the yard just talking about the same old stuff we talked about the day before and mm-hmm. just making sure the kids don't get run over. I know. And it's uh, <laughs> you do find it. You find I found it all over uh, Europe, mm-hmm. um, Italy mostly, and Greece. I spent some time in Greece, and it was mm-hmm. also there. I'm dying um, to go there. Dying to go there. Have you been to Greece? No. 
that's uh i just i went there and i just rented a little studio on the beach on the island of naxos for a few months <laughs> do you hear how crazy that is i mean it's just I, like i feel terrible saying no no it's it's youth and it's the ability that we have when we're in our 20s well, i had a friend once uh who i am not wealthy in any way <laughs> yeah but i had a friend you know they were loaded and i was sitting in the car with them and she saw you have to go to South Africa and try some wine or something. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I hope I never sound like that. But then I catch myself saying like, hey, I rented a place in Greece. And, oh, man. I, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, and I mean, it's all about the context. I know that's how it sounds. Like. No, no, I just think it's amazing. I, I have no resentment at all when people talk like that, especially w- if they're risking a ton. It's it's when people are loaded, yeah. which I probably sound loaded. I was in Bulgaria over the summer. I'm, we are not. I have not. no problem with wealth. I don't demonize wealth at No, all. no, I'm not <laughs> demonizing it. It's just when somebody talks about when they had nothing and they were just easy breezy, no responsibilities. And I tried this and I tried that. There's something so, that's so great. I just, I love that when people can do that. I went to Greece. My grandma worked for Delta airlines when she was a kid. So she has all these friends and family passes. So I flew into Athens. It cost me about $150 maybe. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of scrounged around until I could make it to the port in Piraeus. I think that's what it's called. And the ferry was about 20 bucks or so to get to Naxos. I maybe had three or $400 in my pocket. <laughs> so $20 is a significant percentage of that. Yeah. And I, I had the, I had a few paintings hanging in a gallery in San Francisco that needed to sell mm. for me to keep doing what I was doing. And luckily they did. Mm. And no, I had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> there was no backup plan. I would have just stayed out on the beach, which would have been fine because a lot of the people I met, that's what they were doing. Yeah. And I would have hung out with them. Mm. Uh, and if anything else, I could have somehow found my way back to Italy where I had worked before and pick up work there. So there was no fallback plan. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so great, though. The first time I went was I had it was a gift. It was a grant I received to study architecture. I was architecture history major. Uh-huh. So I can't draw or build anything, but yeah. I can appreciate the heck out of it. <laughs> um, and so I got to go on a little stipend and I knew when I would be coming home, I didn't have to risk a lot. Yeah. And I think there's something that I, I just appreciate that so much when somebody yeah. just does it anyway. Like, yeah, I don't have a lot and I'm going to do it anyway. I think that that's just the coolest. Yeah, I, I, it's foolishness, I guess. Yeah, that's what when people ask what it takes to start a business, so you got to be extremely naive. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to just have no sense of what real life really is yeah. because it won't work. You have to, you you would just drown in your own misery and doubt <laughs> if if <laughs> if you were trying to follow every rule yeah. to starting a business. And uh, no, it's it's. It's a recklessness that you wonder, do you want to teach your kids that recklessness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because there's downsides. You know, I'm, I'm delinquent in so many ways, had some successes in others, mm-hmm. you know. So it's a, it's a balance. There's no, there's a romanticism to part of it, but there's also, yeah, there's some negative stuff too. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, wh- I'm thinking about um, your old man on the hill mm-hmm. watching the sun go down. Uh, if you, if that man say had 24 hours to live, mm-hmm. um, what is the meal that you would maybe want to eat last before you go? Oh man. 
and I've been telling, I've been asking everybody this yeah. and I've seen it's difficult yeah. um, to do that. But I think the thing that, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything at all here. Go ahead. It sounds like you, you well, can come up with something. About this, but let's see. I mean, it would have to be a meal that, you know, calms me down, reminds me of a time yeah. and it's, it, it doesn't have to be anything that tastes good. That's almost what I was going to say, actually, is it, where does it take you? Yeah. I mean, it could be, <laughs> and, and, but then when you get there, it could be, you know, a brown Schweiger sandwich with my grandparents. What is that? What is a brown <laughs> Schweiger sandwich? Brown, what is it? Like a liver pate or something? Oh, okay. Or, you know, some microwave coffee with my grandpa and the kids. <laughs> it could be an in and out burger. Oh, I, that, that's actually a great, that's a great one to put on the list. But it could be. I imagine it it would be just a simple primo, secondo, contorno, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something from Italy, something simple. Maybe just a simple pasta, aglio olio, and maybe, uh, you know, some sautéed Swiss chard. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Take it back to your roots. And uh, I don't even care what the meat is at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think just those smells that get going in the kitchen, it's the process rather than the, the end mm-hmm. meal that you eat. If you're, if you're preparing it with, you know, your friends mm-hmm. and that'd be a good tw- 24 hours of, you know, spend the first, you know, 23 of them cutting the beans. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful. And yet kind of meditative in all the right ways. Well, yeah. Yeah. You'd get out there in the morning and, and then you would sit at the table and you'd sit around with people and that's what you would do. You gossip. Would prepare fruit. You'd gossip about mm-hmm. all the same stuff you talked about the day before. That's the thing about <laughs> Italian life. People say, Oh, the siestas are great. And they take three hour lunches and, the first three hour lunch is cool. The second one's okay. But you get to that third three hour lunch. There's no new conversations. Yeah. And I'll do that for 10 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it does. It is the same. Subject. Eventually you just want to say, come on, let's get up and go do something. <laughs> We're going to talk again for three hours. <laughs> I love it. But so you're, you're cutting the beans for 23 hours and then you get to feast. And then you get to feast. And then yeah. the red wine comes out. You play a little guitar, sing some old uh, classics and, I guess that's when you knock off, right? <laughs> that sounds like a good last day. Dan, thank you for talking Thanks, to Jamie. me. Yeah. Yeah. This is fun. Yes, it is. Thanks again for listening to Consumed. Special thanks to Chris Lambert, who advised me and edited the show. Want to hear more? Visit letsgetconsumed.com for more tasty interviews and news about upcoming episodes. And please share Consumed with a friend. The more, the merrier. Until next time, this is Jamie Lewis.